We're at a time of the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. And he is teaching the people and the people are divided. There's division amongst them and some of them want to take him out and kill him already. Some of them believe his message and believe who he is and have trusted in him. Some of them are still on the fence trying to figure all of this out. And in, in, in part because, as I was thinking about this last night, Jesus, Jesus is calling Israel, and it's really a call to whosoever, both Jew and, and Gentile alike, but he, he's calling them away from a religious system that had been changed so much from God's good original intention that it no longer worked. It, interestingly enough, and I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where Jesus is contending with the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. I actually talked about it last week where we have this, this passage where there was a woman who was caught in adultery uh, and they bring Jesus, they bring the woman to Jesus wanting to know what he would do with her. He doesn't condemn her. And she, matter of fact, all of her accusers leave. And he tells her, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin any longer. And then it tells us in verse 12, and I'm just going to cover one verse this morning, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to further inflame the argument where Jesus says to them again, and it says in verse, New American Standard 2020, it says, And Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees immediately pushed back on that. It says in verse 13, the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In, in some rabbinical thinking, you could not testify on your own behalf. That was some of the thinking, and that's what they were tapping into. Uh, and, and then Jesus will respond to that. I'm tempted to read it, but I'm also tempted to leave it alone because I'm not going to teach on it this morning. So I'll leave it alone. How's that? Because verse 12 is an incredible verse. There's so much to be considered in that which Jesus said. When he says, I am the light of the world, and the one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You will have the light of life. I, I, I love that term. Because what's going on here is, is it's the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. We talked about some of the things that they did during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven-day, one-week feast plus one, all right? That's kind of how, how these things were set up. 
And they would do the procession where they would, they would bring the water from the pool of Siloam and they would pour it out. And, and Jesus used that as an illustration to say, if anyone thirsts, verse 37 of chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago now. In verse 12 of chapter 8, he's up in the ante. Because one of the other things that they did during the Feast of Tabernacles is they would set up in the four corners of the temple they would set up these four huge uh, lamps, these huge bowls that would supply the oil for these lamps. And during the evening, they would light these lamps and, and they would light up much of the city of Jerusalem. Now, the city wasn't very big at that time, of course. But it would light up much of the city and it was this incredible celebration that they would do every night. Remember, tabernacles was given to them for two reasons. One, it was to celebrate the harvest. But more importantly, it was to celebrate and to remember the Lord's provision to Israel during the time of the wilderness wandering. So they're commemorating that. And remember, they, get into the, they got out into the desert and they got thirsty. And Moses was told to strike the rock and water flowed. It happened the second time where he was told to speak to the rock and he got angry and so he struck the rock and because he misrepresented God, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. But it was in recognition of the provision that God did in the wilderness where he provided for them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's in the book of Exodus. It's also in Numbers. Also, it's touched on in the book of uh, Leviticus. And so at night, they would commemorate the pillar of fire in the temple area by lighting these four huge uh, lamps. And it tells us in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, in the, 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 the section, Sukkah of uh, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. No, it's not inspired scripture, but it's informative, okay? It says that the men of piety and good works used to dance before the burning torches or with burning torches in their hands and sing songs and praises and countless Levites would play harps and lyres and cymbals. I'm looking for guitars. I guess it's not in there. And trumpets. There you go, Larry. And instruments of music. So they would have this huge celebration to remember the pillar of fire by night. So Jesus is connecting the two when he makes this statement 
that he is the light of the world and the one who follows him will not walk in darkness but will have ever uh, will have the light of life now some of you some of you who have gone out in the wilderness i mean out in the wilderness i'm not talking about to a campground i'm talking about out in the wilderness where there are no lights particularly if it's an overcast sky it gets real dark out there and that's part of the reason why you build a fire right it can get real dark out there. Um, so the Lord in his wisdom to the people of Israel when they were camping in the wilderness, and remember they were out there for about 40 years. And they didn't have street lights, right? They didn't have those, those uh, photovoltaic cells that you could set up and plug in the light into it, right? Of course they built fires, but he gave them a pillar of fire by night, kind of like a nightlight. You know, be able to see your way around. But more importantly, they could look up to the sky and they could see that pillar of fire and they experienced a hope in their hearts, Emmanuel, God with them. Emmanuel. God with them. I look up and I see the presence of God there in this pillar of fire and I know that all will be well. So Jesus is connecting his personhood, who he is, with that experience. And that must have just blown the Pharisees' mind. Because if it, it, they understand that he's testifying about himself and what he's saying can't possibly be true. Because they were wrong, right? Yes, they were wrong, all right? Because Jesus is connecting himself to that pillar of fire by night. So the thing about those lamps that were lit every night during tabernacles. They were lit there in the temple. I'm these are huge lamps. These aren't just a little kerosene thing. These things are huge, huge bowls. They also represented the Shekinah glory of God. They represented his glory. James tells us that no man has seen God at any time, right? The best we can do is his manifestations. And, and God, we read this, and to really teach this one verse right, I need about three hours, okay? So you're getting a very abridged version. I'm, I'm going to let you out on time, okay? Um, but this verse itself, this this claim of Jesus I don't even want to call it a claim because it's truth beyond truth right this characteristic of the Lord Jesus Christ that's better huh this one attribute of who he is is incredibly important for each and every one of us as we are navigating our lives as we are navigating the times in which we live.
Do you ever go outside and look up in the sky and envision seeing the pillar of clouds? The pillar of fire, excuse me. Do you recognize his presence? It says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, a lot of different ways to even interpret that. Because I'm, I'm convinced that there are people who become Christians. They become saved. They're born again in the Spirit. And they become a follower of Jesus. But somewhere along the way, they want to pull into a rest stop. Or they're really interested at that big truck stop with all the gas stations and all those hot dogs that you probably shouldn't be eating anyway, right? All of that, the gas station food, right? And they stop following. So, much of the time, if we find ourselves walking in darkness, we have to stop and ask ourselves, who is it that we are following? Who do you listen to? Who do you watch on TV? What pod... Now, you guys are older, so I bet you nobody here listens to podcasts besides me, right? What podcast... I'll say it anyway. What podcast do you listen to? Somebody had to answer. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Somebody else listened to podcasts. Who has your ear? What do you value? What are the things that are important to you? And those things that you value, those things that are important to you, are they tools for the furtherance of the kingdom of God or have they become idols in your life? See, these are really hard questions that, is, you know, that I'm, like I said, I could really get going on this verse. There, there's so much here. Because if we find ourselves in darkness, and Jesus said it quite well to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, the call to return to your first love. The call to go back and do the first things again. To become a follower of Jesus again. Because so many places, and, and gosh, I, I ran out of, really I ran out of room. I like to keep my notes down to one page. It just is easier for me or else I get lost. And I'm not even looking at them. I don't even know where, I, where half this is going yet this morning. Okay. Um, but there's so many places where the Bible equates light not only with life. John uses it a few times in his gospel. He uses it in the first chapter. Um, yeah, it's a quick it's a quick turn. I'm 
I'm going to start from verse 1 of chapter 1 because it's one of my favorite verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light was the life of man. Here, Jesus flips that around and says that they will have the light of life. But it tells us that his light was uh, the life of man, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines on the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it or does not overcome it. There was a man sent from John, uh, God. His name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that the true light, which is, gives light to every man who comes into the world. The true light, which gives light to every man who comes in the world. He's claiming to be the light here. John is claiming. You've got to remember the first, the first 18 verses of, of uh, John 1. It's John's introductory summation of really what he's going to write about. He's telling you what he's going to tell you uh, in in. in the first 18 verses, called the prologue. And he refers to Jesus as the light, and if you have a new King James, and I think other translations that, well, it capitalizes the light as the light of life. The light, he is the, he is the source. That's what, that's what he's really saying here in John 8. That's what John is saying about him in John 1, that he is the source. He's the source of our salvation. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is, uh, is, is my light and my salvation in him. Well, I trust, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's undergirding this idea is that, that we need some sense of illumination, some sense of understanding, some sense of, of being able to apprehend the truth. Notice John, and he loves using light and darkness in his gospel. John says that the darkness does not overcome it. Why is it that so many people who name the name of Christ want to listen to the darkness rather than listening to the light? And the nonsense, I'm being polite this morning, the nonsense that's being put out there for truth. And I've told you guys this more than once. I don't even know who to believe anymore. But I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed against that day. So I, 
I can spend my time listening to people whom I do not trust. Or I can spend my time reading from the one whom I trust explicitly. What do you want to do? Where do you spend your time? If you think about your time, about what, and, I, and I, I'm meaning free time. Some of you have an abundance. Some of you don't have any of it, okay? But where you spend, what, what, what do you do with your free time? Where do you invest your soul into? See, John talks about this in his letter. He talks about the world and everything in it is passing away. Two hundred years from now, when you and I, all of us, are in glory, how much of the stuff that we think is important today is really going to matter? I wonder, I'm going out on a limb with this one, so don't crucify me in the parking lot for it. How's that? I wonder if we're going to have any regrets in heaven about how we really walked with Christ here on earth. The things that captivated our minds that probably shouldn't have. I could go further, but I'd become, I'd start meddling instead of preaching, so I'm going to back off a bit and just leave that with you. Jesus is claiming to be that pillar of fire by night. He's claiming to be the Shekinah. He's claiming to be God in this verse. It's very clear if you understand the context. He, he's not just, just some kind of hippie guru running around with Birkenstocks and, and sandals and a robe and petting little kids on the head and that kind of stuff. He, he is, he's the God of the universe who creates as a sign of his presence the, the sense of comfort to his people with this pillar of fire by night. Because in reality, we're Israel in that we're in the wilderness and it's nighttime. You want to run to your favorite rabbi for an explanation? Or do you want to go to the Lord Jesus Christ? And hear his word. And you know, when I, when, I, when, I need, when I need a word from God and I ask for it, you know what I get a lot of times? Exactly that. You too? To drive you as crazy as it drives me crazy? I've known some people, they get angry. 
In fact, I was, I, I was, I was talking with, with uh, some of us from my seminary. Um, we still meet, and the person was sharing about how they've just gone through the ringer one time after another after another all summer long, and, and she's saying like, "What's happening, God?" And I understand that despair. I understand that frustration. I understand that, that I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and life is still not working out really well. You too, huh? As I think about Moses and the cleft of the rock, I love that story. Because Moses is there, why? Because God honored his request. What was his request? You guys remember? What did he say to God? Show me your glory. Wow, I'd love to have been there. I'd have been scared to death. That's why all of Israel would not get up. Well, they weren't supposed to anyway, but... Nonetheless, they, they didn't want on any part of that mountain, Mount Sinai. They said, Moses, you go up there and you talk to God and whatever he tells you to do, we'll do it. They did really good at that, didn't they? Okay. God comes down, puts Moses in the cleft of this rock. I talk about this a lot, don't I? but it's just, just it's a story that just fascinates me. It covers him up. And he passes by and he declares his glory to, to Moses. Uh, and, and, and as he is passing by, he pulls his hand away and he allows Moses to see the afterglow of his presence. Not about you, but I'm pretty sure it was evening. Because of the clouds and the smoke and, and, and all the manifestation on Sinai, I bet it was really dark. I bet it was really dark, but God allowed Moses to see his afterglow. Sometimes when we are in the dark, or at least it feels in the dark, look for the afterglow. Look for the afterglow of God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, give us some thought and prayer, okay? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and the one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I like the way that the, uh, the New American Standard guys translated it. Um, they capitalized light of life, the word light and light of life. It's interpretive, okay? It's interpretive. I like it, though, all right? New King James doesn't have a capital L. Why is it capitalized? How are they interpreting that they are saying, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have me as your life. Maybe not the best paraphrase, all right? I'll, I'll do better next time. But... That's what I think Jesus is saying here. You will have me as the light of your life.
Can you think of anything better than that? Probably not. Hopefully not. I haven't found anything else. He says, you will have me as the light of life. And you will not walk in darkness. Even in those times that it feels very dark, and all I can see is his afterglow. But in those times, guys, it's then that you can reach out and grab his hand and let him lead you. You won't walk in darkness. It may not be flood-lighted, but you're at least able to continue to walk. And don't allow yourself to be tripped up by the voices of this world, who I'm not convinced even know what they're talking about. If you follow him, you won't be in darkness because he is the light of the world. He is the illuminating source. He is the one who gives us understanding. He is the one who gives us comprehension. He is the one by his Holy Spirit that we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 that the natural man does not understand these things because they are foolishness to them, but these things are spiritually discerned. Specifically, I think in the context of that passage, it is talking about the word of God, but I think it's talking about the events of life as well. And I'm afraid that we are at a place where I've talked to Christians that all they do in their sense of discerning the times is at least demonstrate to me that they don't have any discernment. because they're not looking for the afterglow. They're not recognizing whom it is that they follow. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they love the Lord. Yes. It's like I think about it. I think, my goodness, what are we even going to talk about in heaven? But nonetheless, all right. But their path, their focus is somewhere else. It's easy to do. The trip is long. It is a long path that we've been called. But nonetheless, continue to look for the afterglow of his presence and follow after that.